today's lesson is a very serious lesson for which I would request you to give your 100% attention. The surah that we're going to study today is meant to wake us up. And in order to truly take the effect of the surah, we need to be 100% attentive. So I request you all to please, if you have your phone, put it away. Any distraction, please put it away. Wear your hijab in a way that you don't have to keep fixing it. Get your pens ready and give it your 100%, insha'Allah. نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما سورة قاف سورة قاف is a مكي سورة and it has 45 verses سورة قاف is the first surah of the Mufassal surahs of the Qur'an. The Mufassal surahs, what are they? They are a category of the surahs of the Qur'an. We see that the surahs of the Qur'an are divided into four categories. The first category is of the Tiwal surahs. From the term Tiwal, what do you understand? These surahs are long long in terms of their length, not necessarily in terms of the number of verses. Alright? And these tiwal surahs are the first seven surahs of the Qur'an, of course, after Surah Fatiha. Alright? So they are from Surah Baqarah to Surah Al-Anfal. Then the second category of the surahs of the Qur'an is of the mi'een. The word mi'een is from mi'ah. What does mi'ah mean? Hundred, right? So these surahs are those surahs that have over or around 100 verses. Alright? And these surahs are from Surah At-Tawbah to Surah Fatir. The third group of surahs is of the Mathani. Mathani as in oft repeated, frequently recited. Why are they frequently recited? Because of their length. They're not too long, not too short. So these are the Mathani. And they are from Surah Yasin to Surah Hujurat. Then we come to the fourth and last category of the surahs of the Qur'an, which is known as the Mufassal surahs. Mufassal is from Fasala. And Fasala is to create a gap between two things. Right? And basically they are called Mufassal because they are divided in the sense that the Basmala or Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim appears very frequently when you're reciting these surahs. Why? Because they're so short. Like if you look at these surahs, one page, page and a half, and then what do you have? Another Bismillah, meaning another surah. Alright? So Surah Qaf is the first of the Mufassal surahs. Mufassal surahs are from Surah Qaf all the way to Surah Nas. Alright? And the Mufassal surahs are further divided into three categories. And what are those categories? The first category is of Tiwal Mufassal. Tiwal as in the long Mufassal Surahs. Alright? And these are from Surah Qaf to Surah Mursalat. So basically all the way to the 30th Juz. Because after Mursalat is Naba. And Naba is the beginning of the 30th Juz. And we see that the Prophet 
he used to recite these surahs very, very frequently. For example, we learn in Bukhari that it is masnoon to recite these surahs, one of these surahs or two of these surahs in tahajjud, alright, as well as in maghrib salah. Once a man came to one of the companions, this is reported in Bukhari, he came to one of the companions and he said that I read such and such amount of Qur'an in my salah. And he said that this is like reading poetry. Meaning, how could you have given the haqq of recitation if you read so much? What would have been enough for you is that if you recited two of the mufassal, the qiwal mufassal, that would have been sufficient. Meaning in pairs. So these surahs are frequently recited. The second category is of awsat mufassal. Awsat as in of moderate length. And these are from surah Naba to surah duha Surah Naba to Surah Duha. And we learned that the Prophet ﷺ advised one of his companions to recite these surahs in Salatul Isha. Remember that story when one of the companions, he led a group of people in prayer and he started reciting a very long surah, right? And then a man got very upset and he basically broke his salah and he complained to the Prophet ﷺ. And he reprimanded that companion that you are putting people in hardship it would have been sufficient for you to recite one of these surahs. And what group of surahs was it? This one, awsat mufassal. And the third category is of qisar mufassal. As in the very short mufassal surahs. And which ones are they? From surah duha to surah nas The reason why I'm mentioning all of these categories to you is so that you have an idea of how much of the Qur'an we have left. Right? We're entering the last group of surahs, mufassal. And these surahs are not very long at all, as the term mufassal explains. And secondly, what I want you to understand also, is that it is from the sunnah to recite these surahs. So if you want to memorize any portion of the Qur'an, begin with the mufassal surahs. If you want to teach someone how to recite the Qur'an, begin with the mufassal surahs. Start with surah qaf. Because these surahs are short, verses are short, easy to recite, right? And we see that when a person can memorize these surahs, then they can also recite them in the salah. They can follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in this regard also. Then we see that from the mufassal surahs, the surahs that we're going to begin today, inshaAllah, from surah qaf to surah waqi'ah, from surah qaf to surah waqi'ah, these are makki surahs, all makki. So, seven surahs are going to be Makki, and then after that, Surah Hadid onwards is going to be another group of Madani surahs, and then finally again, Makki surahs. Alright? So, Makki surahs now, then a group of Madani surahs, and then finally at the conclusion again, Makki surahs. Now, Surah Qaf, we learned that the Prophet ﷺ recited it very, very frequently. How frequently? First of all, we learned that he recited it on Friday. We learned that Umm Hisham bint Haritha, radiallahu anha, she said that our oven and the oven of the Prophet ﷺ was the same for about two years, meaning we shared the same oven. What does it mean? They were neighbors. And what that means is that Umm Haritha lived very close to the masjid. Right? So she said that I learned Surah Qaf from the Prophet ﷺ. How? He used to recite it every Friday on the mimbar. 
on the mimbar, when he gave the khutbah, before that, what would he do? He would recite Surah Qaf. And he recited it so frequently that Umm Haritha is saying that I basically memorized the surah just by listening to it every Friday from the Prophet wasallam. And this hadith is reported in Muslim. Another hadith tells us, the sister of Amra bint Abdul Rahman, she also said something similar, that I memorized Surah Qaf from the Prophet ﷺ when he used to recite it on the mimbar every Friday. And what this means is that either all of his khutbah or a major part of his khutbah was just the recitation of Surah Qaf. You understand? Either all of the khutbah or a major part of the khutbah was what? Just the recitation of Surah Qaf. Why? Because Surah Qaf, as we will see, is so powerful that just its recitation is enough as a khutbah. You don't need to add any more of your words to leave a powerful message with people. To give a reminder that is beneficial. Surah Qaf, its recitation alone is sufficient. And we see that, unfortunately, this is a neglected sunnah. How often is it that we have heard Surah Qaf being recited from the mimbar on Friday? How often? Probably never. Alhamdulillah, I can say that my father, he follows the sunnah. Alhamdulillah, almost every time that I've heard him giving khutbah, Jumu'ah khutbah, he recites at least a portion of Surah Qaf. So it is necessary that we revive the sunnah also. Secondly, we see that the Prophet ﷺ recited the surah on Eid also. We learn Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu, he asked one of the companions that what did the Prophet ﷺ used to recite on Eid al-Adha and Eid al-Fitr, meaning on both Eids, what surah did he recite in prayer? And this hadith is also in Muslim. And he was told it was surah Qaf and surah Iqtarabatis Sa'ah, when shaqq al-Qamar, surah Qamar. So Surah Qaf and Surah Qamar is what the Prophet ﷺ used to recite on Eid. Again, this is a sunnah that is sadly neglected. Jabir anhu said, Prophet ﷺ used to recite Surah Qaf in Fajr also. This is also reported in Muslim. He used to recite Surah Qaf in Fajr also. What do we see? All of these ahadiths, what are they showing us? That firstly, how frequently the Prophet ﷺ recited the surah. And secondly, that he especially recited it in larger gatherings. Why so? Ibn Kathir, he said that because the surah talks about the beginning of the creation and resurrection. It talks about where we came from, right? Why we are here, and also the resurrection. It talks about paradise and hell. It talks about reward and punishment. It gives encouragement and warning. And we will see that all of the remaining surahs of the Qur'an are like this now. They cover all of these topics. Because when a person hears on these topics, hears about them, then what happens? It is basically for the purpose of strengthening, reviving iman. Isn't it? And iman... When it is corrected, then only the heart can be corrected. When there is iman, then there is islah al-qulub. When there is strong faith, then the heart is corrected. In the previous surah, surah Hujurat, we learned about so many important akhlaq, right? But we cannot correct our akhlaq until and unless there is iman. 
Right? We have learned too many rules in the Qur'an. Up until now, alhamdulillah, we have learned about many commands, many prohibitions. But if we compare our knowledge with our action, then we know that there's a huge discrepancy. There's something lacking. Why? Because we may have a lot of information, but the fact is that here there's something missing. In the heart there's something missing. And what is that? Iman. So these surahs are meant to wake us up. These surahs are meant to strengthen iman in us so that our hearts can be corrected and so that our actions can be changed. Because if iman is not strong, then actions do not change. And if actions do not change, then a person cannot be successful. Then we see that when a person reads these surahs over and over again, and when he listens to these surahs over and over again, then what do they develop in him? Iman bil ghaib. Yaqeen in the hereafter. Belief in the matters of the unseen, and conviction and certainty in the hereafter also. And we see that in our life, what is our biggest test? One of our biggest tests is this dunya, this world. How quickly we get deceived. How quickly we get deceived. We know what Allah likes and we know that there's something that He has forbidden. But out of fear of people or out of love of this world, how easily we compromise on the commands that Allah has given. So what is needed then? Iman bil ghaib. Strength of faith in the hereafter. So that a person can realize the true reality of this dunya and live, live in that reality that this world is temporary. What is eternal and what means much more is the life of the hereafter. So this surah is meant to wake us up from the heedlessness that we have engulfed ourselves with. So let's begin the surah. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Qaf. والقرآن المجيد قاف حروف مقطعات It is of the حروف مقطعات But you see it's only one حرف And some have said that قاف is referring to the Qur'an Or that it is referring to something else But keeping this قاف consistent with the other letters that appear before Many surahs of the Qur'an It is safer to say that قاف is of the حروف مقطعات وَالْقُرْآنِ الْمَجِيدِ By the Qur'an that is glorious. Allah is taking an oath over here. By what? By the Qur'an. Why is an oath being taken? When an oath is taken by something, right? By the Qur'an, then it is as if that object is being made a witness to what is being said. When we say, by Allah, I never did this. What does it mean? Allah is my witness that I didn't do it. So, Qur'an is being made a proof of something over here. وَالْقُرْآنِ الْمَجِيدِ And the Qur'an is described as الْمَجِيدِ الْمَجِيدِ, honorable. ذُلْ majd, Meaning one that has majd. What is majd? Glory. Majd is glory. Basically, majd is when something is superior to another. When something has alama, greatness, right? complete sovereignty, glory, and greatness. The Arabs would say, في كل شجرة نار واستمجد المرخ والعفار An example of how the word majd was used. That every tree can produce fire. Meaning all you need for fire is what? Wood. Right? But they said that was tamjadal this and this tree. 
that these two trees, Marq and Ifar, they are next level. Meaning, these trees, they're best for making fire. Alright? So, majd, what does it mean then? It is when you're trying to show the superiority of something over others. وَالْقُرْآنِ majid, The Qur'an, by the Qur'an, that is honorable, that is glorious. Allah takes an oath by the Qur'an, declaring that it is honorable, that it is respectable, compared to what? Compared to all other scriptures. How is it honorable over all other scriptures? Because it is muhaymin over them. What does muhaymin mean? One that is a caretaker, in the sense that one that has basically preserved in it all the main messages that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed. Right? Then the Qur'an is also nasikh. It is one that abrogated the previous scriptures and it is not mansukh, meaning it will not be abrogated by another scripture that will come after it. The Qur'an is hakim and it is not mahkum. Meaning the Qur'an is what decides what we should do. We don't impose our judgments and decisions on the Qur'an. The Qur'an is to be followed, not to be dictated. In Surah Buruj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, بَلْ هُوَ قُرْآنٌ مَجِيدٌ It is a Qur'an that is majid. So qaf, وَالْقُرْآنِ الْمَجِيدٌ What's the response to this qasam? What's the jawab? It's not mentioned, it's not needed in fact. Why? Because it is implied by the context. And we will see that this is a prevalent style in the Makki surahs that we're going to study now. That how an oath is mentioned, but the response to that is not mentioned. Why? Because it's implied. And what is that over here? وَالْقُرْآنِ الْمَجِيدٌ by the glorious Qur'an. The Qur'an is proof that Allah is true, that the messenger is true, that this book itself is true, that the hereafter is true. وَالْقُرْآنِ الْمَجِيدِ The Qur'an's message is clear. بَلْ But what is the response of the people? بَلْ rather عَجِبُوا They wonder. They are in amazement. And remember, the word ajab, to find something amazing, it is of two types. One type of amazement is of denial. That you find something too shocking, as in too unacceptable, you just deny it. You say, no way, this is not true. Correct? Like for example, if somebody were to tell you, you could actually go on the moon from here to there in one day, what would you say? No way. Right? Why? You find it shocking, astonishing, but you know that it's not possible. This is ajab of inkar. Then there is another type of ajab, which is of istihsan. When you like something, when it makes you happy. Right? For example, if your parents just show up, or your friend just shows up, then of course you're happy, you're surprised. Right? But that is istihsan. You like it, you appreciate it. Allah says, بَلْ They are wondering. They are in amazement. What kind of amazement is this? Of denial. And جَاءَهُمْ That He has come to them. Who has come to them? مُنذِرٌ مِّنْهُمْ A warner from among themselves. Meaning a human, an Arab warner. Someone whom they know. فَقَالَ الْكَافِرُونَ So the disbelievers say that هَذَا شَيْءٌ عَجِيبٌ This is a thing that is strange. This is something very strange. What is it that they find very strange? The coming of a prophet. 
So they deny him. In Surah Yunus, ayah number two, Allah says, "Akana lil nasi ajaban an awhina ila rajulin minhum an andirin nas wa bashirin ladina amanu." Is it surprising for people? Do they find it amazing that we have sent a messenger to warn people and also give good news? Do they find that amazing? Well, they shouldn't find that amazing. They shouldn't find it strange. Why? Because it's not the first time that Allah has sent a messenger. So they find it strange that Allah has sent a messenger, and then they say, "Aida mitna, a what? Ida when mitna we have died." Another thing they find strange is the message that the Prophet has brought, particularly regarding the hereafter and resurrection. So they say in their amazement, "Aida mitna." When we have died, وَكُنَّا turaba, And we have become dust. Meaning, he says that we are going to be resurrected when we have died and we have turned into dust, meaning our bodies have disintegrated into the earth. He says that then we'll be resurrected. ذَلِكَ That is رَجْعٌ بَعِيد They say that that is a رَجْعٌ Meaning a return That is بَعِيد What does بَعِيد mean? One that is very far Far is also used for something To describe something that you think is unlikely That you think is not gonna happen It's not possible So they say ذَلِكَ رَجْعٌ بَعِيد This is a return that is far As in it's impossible It's unlikely It can never happen. Our bodies can never return from the state of disintegration to alive. They say it's not possible. And for this reason, they deny Him. Allah says, قَدْ عَلِمْنَا They wonder how they will be resurrected. If even they can be resurrected. And on the basis of that, they deny the messenger. Well, they should know that قَدْ عَلِمْنَا We know. Allah knows. We know ما تنقص الأرض ما that which تنقص it reduces الأرض the earth it diminishes meaning what the earth diminishes من whom from them from them as in from their bodies they don't need to give the prophet a lesson about what happens when a person dies. Allah knows. What happens to a body when it is dead? Allah knows what the earth consumes of the dead bodies. مَا تَنْقُصُ الْأَرْضُ مِنْهُمْ What the earth diminishes of their bodies. Naqs is to diminish, to lessen. When a body is buried, it is full in whatever sense. Then what happens? Over time, it decomposes. It disintegrates. Right? As it dries up, and as the earth eats it away, then what happens? The cells of the body, they go away. The hair, the flesh, the blood, the bones, everything goes away eventually, turns into dust, and Allah says, we know about that. You don't need to tell us. And we know exactly where each and every bit of everyone's body goes. وَعِنْدَنَا And with us is kitabun hafiz, a book, a record that is hafiz. Hafiz as in one that has preserved everything. What is this book? The لَوْحُ الْمَحْفُوظ In which every fact 
has been preserved. Even the falling of a leaf is preserved. Isn't it so? Not a leaf falls except that it is in a clear record. The falling of a leaf, what does it mean? That something was just taken away from the tree. Right? Something that the tree had, now knocks, it's gone. So if the death of the trees, or if their falling apart is recorded, then what do you think about the disintegration of the human body? Will Allah not know about that? Will Allah not record that? It is recorded. So what does this mean then? وَعِنْدَنَا كِتَابٌ حَفِيظٌ You think that it is impossible for Allah to resurrect? Because when someone dies, their body is lost in the earth. It's not lost in the earth. Wherever every single part of the body goes, Allah knows about it. If you think about it, when we're alive also, does something diminish from our body? Yes. Every single day, what do we lose? So many skin cells. Hair. Isn't it? We don't know where it goes. We clip our nails. And sadly, I've heard a complaint that sometimes when people come in the evening or on Monday, then they find nails in the masjid. Lots of nails. I don't know where they come from. But we should be careful about the cleanliness of the masjid. Because even if we bite a nail off and throw it somewhere, we don't know where it ends up. But Allah knows where it ends up. And we should be careful about that. Allah knows where every part of our body ends up. قَدْ عَلِمْنَا مَا تَنْقُصُ الْأَرْضُ مِنْهُمْ وَعِنْدَنَا كِتَابٌ حَفِيظٌ Allah will recreate people. بَلْ كَذَّبُوا بِالْحَقِّ بَلْ rather كَذَّبُوا بِالْحَقِّ They have denied the truth. لَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ When it came to them. The truth came to them. The truth as in the Qur'an, the messenger, it came to them. And what did these people do? They rejected it. And when they rejected it, Allah says, فَهُمْ So they are فِي أَمْرٍ In a matter, meaning in a situation that is marij, that is confusing. They are in a confused condition. Marij is from the root letters mim rajim, maraja, maraja al-bahraini yaltaqiyan. What does maraja mean? To mix, right? It is basically to bring two or more things together in such a way that each object or each thing retains its identity. Alright? Like for example, if you were to take a bowl and mix in different kinds of beans or beads, let's say. Right? You mix them up, all different sizes, all different colors, all different types. Right? Maraja, you've mixed them up, but each bead or each bean has retained its identity. Isn't it? So, so, فَهُمْ فِي أَمْرٍ marij, They are in a confused condition. When things are mixed up, then it gets confusing. Isn't it? You can't tell apart one thing from the other. Like for example, if in that big bowl of different types of beads and lentils or whatnot, you're looking for one that is of a specific color and a specific type, would you find it easily? Would you find it easily? No, you wouldn't. So, amri marij, a confused condition. What does Allah say? Allah says over here that because they have denied the truth, this is why they are in confusion. Because they have denied the hereafter, because they have denied the Qur'an, they are in a confused condition. What does it mean? What this means is, that when a person has iman, 
then he has some foundation, some basis on which he can you know, build ideas or on which he can live his life. He's got a home base. He knows where to start from. And what is it that he can always be certain about? But when a person rejects iman, when he doesn't believe in Allah, when he doesn't believe in divine guidance, when he doesn't believe in the hereafter, then what does he have? What does he have? He's got nothing. And so he has to come up with some explanation as to where he's come from and where he's going and why he's living, isn't it? And why we do certain things. So what happens? People come up with one story, one myth. And then they come up with another explanation. Right? All these superstitions, what are they? They're confusion. Isn't it? That a person is confused, he's scared, he doesn't know that if a black cat has gone in front of me, am I going to get hurt? You know, the number 13, if you think about it, what is it? But how afraid people are. It's sad. Superstitions, what are they? They are basically a state of confusion. You've got no contentment, no confidence. Iman gives you confidence. Isn't it so? And if you think about it, all the different sciences that are out there, I mean, what is one of the fundamental principles? That our ideas can be wrong. When you study any science, there's this major thing you must understand that our ideas can be wrong. So then what happens? You know, a researcher, for example, will come up with a, a hypothesis or, or a theory and then they have to prove it wrong basically, right? They go the opposite way, they have to prove it wrong. If it's proven wrong, it's not true. But if it cannot be proven wrong, then it will be accepted until maybe 50 years down the road, somebody else will prove it wrong and then that will also be rejected. Go ahead. The meaning means uh, not to be cut down, right? And after the discoveries, we know that the atom has different parts, right? Electron, neutrons, and uh, protons, and positron as well. So even the, def- in the, the meaning of the atom, not to be cut down, is wrong. Yeah, right? I mean, this is not to criticize science, but this is just to make you understand that when we will reject Iman, then we will be lost. Because sometimes people say that, you know what, I have to have a very neutral approach to religion. So I will pretend for these five minutes that I don't have any faith, you know. And then I will think about life, and then I will think about the hereafter, and I will think about this and that. You're just confusing yourself. Because no matter how hard you try, you're not going to get the answers to life's questions just by observation, just by your mind. You have to have belief in the unseen. Assalamu alaikum. All these days they were saying that fatty foods and, you know, avoid fat, it's cholesterol, it's bad. And now they've come up with the thing that all that was wrong. And it's good to have fat in your food and it's good for the body. I mean, there's this TED talk I watched about stress, that how stress is actually good for you. Right? It's actually good for you. But if you think about it, how often is it that we hear or we read in books and we have to study in books that stress is so bad for you. Isn't it? Yes, it has its negative effects, but it also has its positive effects. This is just to, again, give you an idea that, you know, in life, we have to have some basis. We can't live on on pure ignorance. We can't live like that. Otherwise, life would become so difficult. So, بَلْ كَذَّبُوا بِالْحَقِّ لَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ فَهُمْ فِي أَمْرٍ مَرِيجٍ As a result, they are in a confused condition. And then we see that this confused condition was also with respect to what they said about the Prophet 
they didn't believe in him, but then they had to come up with something as in, who is he? What is he? So at one point they called him a magician. Another point they called him a liar. Then they called him a poet. Then they said something else. Right? You know, make up your mind. فَهُمْ فِي أَمْرٍ مَرِيجٍ Let's listen to the recitation of these verses. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قاف والقرآن المجيد بل عجبوا لما جاءهم لما 